Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development, where Andrew and I talk to experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 platform. For more information on Office 365 development, visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. All right, well, welcome to episode 120 of the Office 365 Developer Podcast. I like 120. That's kind of a nice even number, huh, Coatsy? Yeah, mate, it's great. It's uh, uh, Anything with 12 in it's good, right? Because you can divide it by uh, 6 and 4 and 3 and 2. Uh, and 120 is even better because you, know, you get a, a bunch of other numbers in there as well. So anything with a, with a large number of, uh, of, of, prime, of prime factors is good. You ask any teacher, actually. My sister's a, a teacher. She loves the number 24 in the class because it means you can break the class up into, into teams in all sorts of different ways, into groups. So you can have groups of 2 or 3 or 4 or 6 or 12 uh, or 8. Uh, and um, uh, you could do all sorts of different different stuff. So yeah, one twenty is a good number. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't expect that answer, did you? <laughs> I, I didn't. Well, but, you know, some, some people are a little OCD with their their numbers, and uh, we can't or, be too, I guess. Or, or as we like to say, CDO, because that's in alphabetical order. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, our podcast goes out uh, around noon uh, on Thursday. Well, I say noon. It depends on what time zone you're in, but Correct. we typically. Put it out around noon Central Time. I always center things around where I live, uh, so noon around Central Time. And I knew that I knew that there was going to be a big announcement last Thursday, but but I wasn't sure if our uh, podcast would go out. And I didn't want to like ruin that surprise. But the big surprise, I guess, is out of the bag, which is the SharePoint framework reached general availability. So uh, kudos to that. Yeah, well done, those so, guys. Yeah, you know, we, we joked around about the, what was it, the release candidate zero? Like, they used yeah. zero instead of one, and we were like, what, what is, are they going to end up going to, like, nine, and they needed the extra digit or something? <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's cool that uh, it, it came out a little bit quicker than I think some people realized, but uh, this is version one, and it, you know, supports the client-side web part, so... Uh, you know, if you haven't looked into it yet because it's been a preview thing, it is now GA, so definitely check it out. Uh, there is a, a really good blog post on uh, blogs.office.com. There's one on dev.office.com around this. We'll have links to all this in the show notes. Um, eWeek actually did a, an entire uh, publication on Microsoft gives SharePoint extensibility a shot in the arm, which I thought was pretty neat uh, to have some good PR around that. And then... You know, a lot of the big players like Chax, who was actually on the engineering team, he wrote a good blog post about, uh, you know, it, the framework reaching general availability and all the work that went into that. Uh, Andrew Connell, who we've had on the show, wrote a post about it, and uh, Victor Willen. Uh, so we've got a lot of people in the community that are really interested in this, and, um, you know, hopefully we'll get some of our listeners that maybe haven't looked at it yet to check it out. You know, one of the things that fascinated me was how small the, the, the SharePoint Framework team actually was. There's a picture of them you know, going GA, I think in Chuck's, in Chuck's blog. And um, there's only like 14 people in the picture, 15 people in the picture. It, it, it's remarkable what such a, 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 you know, a concise, a, a, a concentrated team could achieve. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I would say one thing is that... There's probably a lot more people involved than that picture makes out. Like that was the, the the specific engineering team that was building the framework. But you know, like like you've probably heard, a lot of the 
new components in SharePoint are actually built using the SharePoint framework. So even like the modern list are built using uh, that framework. And therefore, you know, there's lots of people that were working on it to deliver other parts of SharePoint and provide feedback to that engineering team. Uh, so it, it takes quite a bit. And so, um, you know, even though the, the team that was actually working on the framework itself might look smaller than you might expect, uh, it's probably still a, a pretty large group of people at Microsoft that help kind of get that out the door, I would say. Absolutely. And a lot of people outside Microsoft, too, you'd have to expect. Uh, there's a bunch of uh, a bunch of the community and uh, to, a, to a smaller and lesser, ex- a smaller and bigger extent who have been heavily involved in testing and giving feedback and, and, uh, and, and, and working on the framework since it was since the, the announcement that we were going to have such a thing. I mean, how long ago was that now? Um, it, well, I'm, I'm trying to remember when we about a year ago is when I think we made the preview announcement. No, no, no. It was the um, it was the May uh, SharePoint event. Okay. Remember right. we had that big yep. SharePoint yep. Uh, event that they did in in California. So yeah. So you're right. There's a, there's a core team, and then there's a bunch of people out uh, around that 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 also contributed heavily. I, I'm, I don't want to take anything away from those guys, but I'm just always surprised about you know, this. This is a, a big bit of, of of important functionality, and this team of 14 or 15 is that other people who are responsible, yeah, obviously with other people around, but responsible for, for delivering that. So that's very neat. Um, so some of the, I guess, supporting things around that GA announcement, uh, there was another uh, really good post on dev.office.com about the enterprise guidance for the SharePoint framework. And to be, I guess, most candid, really the SharePoint framework in its first kind of version is really geared towards the enterprise. It's not as much like an ISV type of tool as it is a tool for the enterprise because right now it really does, it's like a full trust type of solution. It's The script runs on the page. There's nothing that uh, prevents it from running in the context of the user and therefore um, for now, and, and there's the, the team certainly has visions of expanding that, but for now it really is an enterprise type of tool and so we provided some enterprise guidance on that uh, that we'll have a link to in the show notes. Yeah, and I think it's really important. And it's there's actually some really neat stuff in that in that guide, in that same section on uh, on, sh- on development with a framework. So there's enterprise guidance, yeah, a bunch of stuff around uh, team-based development, setting up your development environment, and and so on. So if you if you're looking at uh, kicking off with uh, with SharePoint framework, particularly if you're in an enterprise, then there's some some great uh, some great hints in that same that same set of documentation. Yes, sir. Um. Another one that was on dev.office.com, I really wasn't uh, aware of this, but we had some JavaScript APIs for Visio become generally available, and I haven't really had a chance to play with these. I know when when Visio services first came out for SharePoint, I actually did quite a bit with it. Um, in fact, used Visio diagrams to like kick off workflows and show you know different statuses, and even do like lightweight BI with with Visio services, but this is talking about being able to plug into some of the JavaScript API that work with Visio online, uh, and so it's pretty neat. There's uh, shows a little bit more in-depth things that you can do with, uh, you know, getting context to the the different uh, page that you might be on and being able to interact with it. Yeah, I think this is a great first start. I, I think this is uh, obviously you know, they're, they're talking about some of the, the availability um, um, uh, uh, the availability matrix for this. 
uh, when you're going to be able to use these things, not just on the web, which um, is available now, but also uh, on the win- on Windows and uh, and even on iOS, uh, which is which is coming up. So there's a little bit of a matrix about when those things are going to be available. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It does. It does. Where where have you heard that before? But it's now. I, I, I really like this idea that, that, that we are aiming to have everything, but we want to give you as much as we can as, as soon as possible. Yep. Yeah, that, that's very, very neat. Uh, uh, there's another, of course, SharePoint uh, PMP webcast up. It's that, uh, it's that time again. Um, the, the, this one um, is about uh, automating custom solution deployment steps at Office 365 and Azure. Um, these guys just churn out such great, great content all the time. Yeah, a- absolutely. We're going to talk a little bit more in depth on PNP. Uh, Vesa reached out to me, and I, I gave our listeners some wrong information last week. So I'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later. And, and our guest today has been pretty active in the PNP community, so we might t- talk with it even more with that. But uh, yeah, definitely check that out. I think uh, you know that topic in general is uh, a pretty uh, important one. I think that when we first started introducing extensibility, I think we were even talking about this. I don't remember if it was last week or. Maybe it was last week. Is that you know we really didn't have the best guidance around you know application lifecycle management with what you were doing you know inside the Office 365 platform. So it's cool to see uh, you know some good guidance coming out of the PNP team with some of this stuff. Absolutely. Um, keep talking about guidance and keeping things up to date. Uh, well, in fact, before before I do that, I wanted to. I just wanted to tell you that when I when I heard that Vesa was had had contacted you and said that we'd we'd given some wrong information, my first thought was not oh that, that's a shame we gave the wrong information. Vesa listens to our show. Is the, yeah, that, that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. Hi Vesa. I, hi Vesa. Yeah, I, I was thinking maybe he he meant he, meant, uh, he didn't mean us. He thought thought of us as La La Land and, and thought of thought of maybe some maybe maybe the cloud the cloud show as uh, as uh, as Moonlight. You know. Uh, anyway, the. Um, <laughs> Stefan Bauer's done an awesome post on um, keeping your framework and and, uh, and NPM packages up to date. Now, this is a more general thing, actually. This is a this is a, a, a neat tool uh, uh, about keeping your uh, keeping all your packages up to date with a, a node node NPM check for updates um, uh, package. I quite like this. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So it's basically a tool you can run over your run over your um, your. your uh, uh, your project and whatever your project is, if you if you've deployed it through uh, through uh, through npm, and it will go and check for the up, check for updates all the packages in that uh, in that project. Uh, that's a, that's a very very cool idea. And not only not only is it uh, check for updates and show you what needs updating, you can actually run it and, and say go and upgrade all my packages in the package.json uh, package.json file. Yeah, this was one of the ones that actually would have helped me a, a couple of weeks ago. I've been doing a lot with the SharePoint framework and. I don't do a whole lot with React, but I actually decided to play with some React stuff. I'm more of an Angular guy, and um, I was using a React component. It was actually the web chat for the bot framework, and it, it's built with React, and it wasn't working. Like, and, and I thought I had everything right, and, and I went and looked at it, and for some reason, I guess, I'm not sure if it's still that way, but the SharePoint framework, if you through the Yeoman generator, if you selected React, it brought in like a really early version of React, like version... <laughs> 0.14 like, or something, yeah. Yeah, when we're on version 15 of React, right, like right. 15 plus. And so it was like way, way old. And, and so, you know, being able to just quickly do this would have helped me out. But I just, you know, updated my package JSON and did a new NPN install. And, uh, you know, it handled it for me. But uh, it would have been nice to just quickly do something like this. So, And look, this is one of those things that I think 
that that we've been spoilt with as I've been spoilt with as, as as a Visual Studio developer. That sort of tooling sort of capability has always been there. With you know, with with, uh, with a NuGet package update, you know, you get notified all the time when there are updates, and it's easy to run to update everything. Those those tools obviously exist in the open source world, but you've got to go and find them. This is this is the thing about this uh, uh, this this new tool chain that we're that we're getting used to is that that we have to go and rediscover or re- at least reintegrate all those uh, all those capabilities that were, that I've been used to using all the time in uh, uh, in Visual Studio. Yep, yep, absolutely. Very cool. Um, last last post for the week comes from Paul Schaeflin. Uh, you know, Paul's a good friend of mine out of Chicago and does a lot of great things in the Office three sixty five community. Uh, he did a post that I think is pretty relevant, which is uh, how you config. It's not really a dev things per se, but configuring tenant policies for group groups and sharing. You know, this is one of the things that, if you think about, Microsoft is about to hit GA with Microsoft Teams. So we we promised that in Q1 of this calendar year. So it's coming this month. There's not a lot of that left. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of that quarter left. And so it's coming quick and and Teams is really built on top of the groups construct and and you know one of the big things lacking in in Teams right now is the ability to do external sharing and pulling in external users. So right. I think it's it's important to like point out how this is done with an Office 365 group. I'm not sure it's going to be the exact same way with Teams because I know that that group is working really hard to um, allow for uh, external collaboration in Teams. Uh, but uh, it's, I think, important to look at this because it might be a similar type of configuration. So just being aware of this. you know, And, and Office 365 groups aren't going anywhere. It's still a really good construct, especially if you know, your users aren't really keen on introducing yet another client that they work with um right. you know it's not for everyone for sure but uh, you know for those it's, it's it certainly will be there very cool indeed one of the things that i uh, i wanted to make sure that people knew is that uh, the sessions from ignite australia are up now on channel nine um couple of a uh, couple of ones that i wanted to call all of them are up there now i think including a bunch of interviews i did with people on on uh, on channel nine with seth which i had a great time doing by the way um but the, the two i really wanted to call out were uh, a, a Deep dive into Power Apps uh, with uh, Chuck Sterling and Martin Abbott. I don't know if you know Chuck. He's, uh, he used to be a technical evangelist here in Australia uh, and then went back and worked in the, on Visual Studio on the product team there, uh, community outreach, and then uh, has recently gone across to the um, Power BI and Power Apps team and is doing a bunch of a bunch of work with them, which is very cool. And Martin Abbott's one of our local MVPs. They did an excellent session. And then we had John Liu on the show, oh, I guess... So, uh, must have been a little while ago now with John, John and, and with, with John Bristow talking about uh, Angular and so on. But um, uh, he did a great session on uh, building services with, uh, with Azure Functions. And uh, he's done a blog post or two about that as well, which we've called out in the show more recently. But his session is up as well, uh, and we've got links to that in the show notes. Cool, yeah. I know John's been really active with uh, the serverless functions and things like that. So uh, definitely check that one out. Um, I mentioned that Vesa reached out to me and wanted me to just provide a, a few updates on PNP, and we really probably should have Vesa back on the show. Um, it should probably be like a quarterly thing. Regularly, that's right, yeah. It, yeah, given how popular PNP has become. In fact, he gave me some really interesting statistics on PNP that I thought I'd share. But uh, I wanted to the, – the main update is two things. One, last week we were talking about the special interest groups, and you know, Vesa had a, a discussion on one of the – at least the – SharePoint Framework special interest group about like the future of that and where it was going. Uh, and I mentioned, I, I said it was a monthly 
call, and I was wrong. It's actually a bi-weekly, so every two weeks they're doing that special interest group call. Hmm. Uh, and so I wanted to point that out, and we're going to have links in the show notes to the uh, the the message or the invites that you can uh, get so that you can join those calls. So it's just a really easy link that you can use to join those special interest group calls. Um, the other thing that I wanted to point out, and I think you actually may have corrected me, but um, we I mentioned that I wasn't sure where they put the recordings of those uh, calls. And uh, the answer is it's on the SharePoint PNP YouTube channel. So uh, we'll have a link to that as well. And they have a pretty popular uh, YouTube channel. In fact, you know, PNP at one point, they had a, a channel, or not necessarily channel, but an area of Channel 9 that they would post content to. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, they decided that YouTube was a better place just for, you know, maybe it's to support more of the open source community and being able to watch on any device. But, you know, he just gave me a quick stat that they've had, uh, I'm trying to look at this number, uh, almost 100,000 minutes of watch time in the last 28 days. So it is wow. a, a pretty popular, and you've got to think some of that reaches, um, you know, into, uh, you know, January where we had, it felt like a quiet month for me, but, um, yeah. you know, it, it certainly reaches into that. But just a few notes on, on PNP in general. There are about 10,000 unique tenants in Office 365 where PNP Core and the PowerShell uh, packages are being used. Wow. Uh, yeah, 10,000. And in fact, 3,600 unique tenants just in February to date. So um, they've they've had quite a uh, – in fact, I'm trying to look here. 1.4 billion HTTP requests have gone <laughs> through – the PNP uh, work that's been done. So like, I can uh, see you holding your little finger up to the side of your mouth as you say 1.4 billion. Yeah, that's a no big number. Kidding. <laughs> it's a huge number. Yeah. Uh, it's it's by far one of the more popular GitHub uh, repositories in all of Microsoft, really. Huh. Uh, cer- certainly in Office Dev, it is by far the most popular, but you know, it's even up there with kind of you know Microsoft re- repos in general. In terms of its popularity, this is like it's gratifying for me. I haven't really—I'll be honest—I haven't been very active in PNP probably for about a year and a half. Um, when I came to DX, my focus really got to be more on Office 365 all up, and PNP was doing more focus on SharePoint at the time. Right. Uh, but I was one of the original, like I don't know, six or seven guys that started putting PNP together, uh, and you know, way back then we were. It, was, it had all different names. It was Office AMS. We had, um, you know, all these weird names for it before it became <laughs> patterns and practices. So it's it's pretty it's pretty cool to see this. And you know, Vesa and and those guys like Bert um, that have been there from the get go and contributing uh, constantly should be really proud of the the work that they've done. It's pretty no, amazing. It's very cool. So patterns and practices. As a, more, as a more general term, it's been around for a, a while as well, right? The patterns and practices around um, uh, 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 SQL and, and, and Windows Dev and, and Web Dev and so on for, for ages. We, we yeah, publish I, things, right? I think, but I, I, I don't know that they're all affiliated with each other. Right. I mean, they just, I, it was a, well, a, brand, I, a brand more than anything. Yeah, it's yeah. a brand. Yeah, and I think that it. that's what why we 
kind of finally landed on the PNP branding. And actually, I think it was kind of a combination of Vesa and Steve Walker, who um, actually just recently left Microsoft, uh, hmm. have been you know, re- really involved in. So, Very cool indeed. Yeah. Well, well, your little baby's all grown up. And, and look, it's got a least views now. Not, I'm not a, I'm like, uh, I would say I was like, I was a one of the babysitters. <laughs> I wasn't, I wasn't a parent. I was like a babysitter. Uh, I did a lot of con- contrib- contribution to it, but, uh, you know, it Take, takes a village, right mate. It. it takes a village to yeah. raise a child. That's right. Right. Cool. Well, speaking of PNP, our, our guest today on the show has been a pretty active contributor as well. Not a Microsoft guy, but, uh, you know, someone in the community, we, we opened up PNP about two years ago, I guess, or you know, some, something around there, and and started getting external contributors to it, and and it's been really popular there as well. In fact, some of the biggest contributors have been outside of Microsoft. But um, it's great to have on the show Michael Spinson, who's been a, a huge community contributor. Michael, welcome. Oh, thanks for having me. Took 120 episodes before I got on the show. I know, I know, it's overdue. It, I feel like you know, between you and like Waldeck and maybe a few other guys like uh, Stefan Bauer, like yeah. it's kind of a competition who's going to have the most post in a, a period. But I think you're leading for the year, so uh, congrats on that. Well, thank you. <laughs> so you're you're based out of Oslo, Norway. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I want to do just a quick like I want to do just a quick check because. Oslo, when I think Oslo, I think cold and snow, and um, I, I'm also in the winter here. Uh, Coatsy's in the summertime in Australia, so I want to hear what temperature it is for everyone. So for me today, and we'll even do this the international way, for me it is about 30 degrees Celsius today in the winter. Wow. <laughs> Uh, down here yeah. in Sydney, we're, we're right at the end of summer. In fact, today is the second day of spring. Here. Uh, sorry, second day of autumn here in uh, in, in Sydney because our, our our seasons start at the at the beginning of the quarter. Uh, sorry, at the, end, at the beginning of the month. Uh, unlike uh, unlike the what happens in North America, because we're far enough north that we don't need the extra the extra lag time. Uh, close enough to the equator, we don't need extra late time. So today, uh, the first day of autumn, I think it's uh, yeah, mid twenties is going to be the is going to be the temperature. Celsius, and I guess, yeah, and I guess spring is coming here. My wife actually sent me a picture. She took um, took a picture of a flower she, when she was walking the dog earlier today, and I think, I think, I think it was about two two degrees centigrade today. So we did, Ooh. yeah, we, we did have actually quite a lot of snow uh, on Sunday, but now it's all rained away. <laughs> Oslo is definitely on my bucket list. I would love to get up there and, and see you guys. And in fact, um, I was talking to Jacob Bradford, who runs the Norwegian Developers Conference, uh, while he was down right. here at Ignite uh, a couple of weeks ago. And he's, uh, we're trying to organise a way that I can come up and uh, and do a session or two at NDC one time. It'd be fun. So, Michael, for for our listeners that don't know you, why don't you give us just a quick uh, background about yourself and you know how you got into doing things with Office three sixty five. Sure. So I'm uh, the recently been named CTO of Puzzle Part. So it's a consultant company where I work. So I'm a CTO and consultant, and I do everything from planning and development uh, courses, teaching, just about everything. So because I'm, <clears throat> I'm a I'm a potato. And I've, I've on, been in Puzzle Part. You're, yeah. you're going to have to explain potato. I'm sorry. That, that that's a reference yeah, that well, I don't get. Right, so a potato can be used for for everything. 
I see. Okay, you can mash it. You can make it into fries. You, you, you can, you can stick eyes. You can stick eyes on it and use it as a doll. Is that, is that, like, or, you, or you use it as a can if you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I get it now. Thank you. Yeah, you can use it as a battery, even right. You can. Yeah, it's true. There you so go. You use, That's right. Yeah. So. Uh, as long as it's fun, I'm all about it. But I guess I'm a developer at heart. At heart. So I've been in with Postport for five years, and before that, I was two years with a company doing search. And then I was with another consulting company, and where I start, where I did my SharePoint consulting for the first time. And before that, I was with a small company doing an enterprise search engine. So that's when I started search. And before that, I was into computer games as a game designer. So that's sort of my <laughs> full career. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. I didn't realize you had such a rich background in search. Yeah. Was uh, what what type of search platforms were you working with? So we created our own search engine, developed in C sharp, uh, and it's still in use today. Actually, so I actually spoke to the guys last week, and it still has some features which the fast engine don't have. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's uh, that's in the past. You can't really compete with something which is free. Well, you know, it's funny, like the fast guys, if you talk to anyone that like actually came through the fast acquisition, a lot of them feel like in a way like the platform has taken a step back in some ways. Like the original fast uh, product was very, very extensible and you could hook into the pipeline and do all kinds of really elaborate things in search. And, you know, as we've tried to get a search engine in SharePoint and SharePoint Online that'll work both in the cloud and on-premises, we've in a lot of ways, ratcheted that back a, a bit, but um, yeah. I, I think more of the evolution of, has come in the front end of search with you know things like query rules and display templates and things like that. But yeah, uh, yeah cool. And, and I guess is that sort of that's how I got into doing community stuff. Uh, sort of when Fast for SharePoint 2010 came out, so I have been I had been working with FastDSP for for a couple of years, and I also knew SharePoint, and sort of was a was a sweet spot for someone to take. So then I started asking questions on the Microsoft forums, and then I ended up answering all the questions instead. So, and then I ended up writing the book uh, Fast Fast Search for SharePoint. So I guess I could bring a fun fact. So so that's a book made on Microsoft Press, and I usually I tend to ask people, so how many Fast Search for SharePoint products do you think I've done over the years? <laughs> you guys, you can guess as well, right? That's your guess. I've, I've, I've got no, I've got no way of even starting to guess for guess that. I, right. Yeah. Like one, ten, hundred. Hey, what, what was what was the full question again? How many? How many projects with fast search for SharePoint oh. do you think I've done? Yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm I think it's going to be a shocking number. Hmm. So it's either going to be really low or really high. I'm going to go with really low, and I'm going to say one. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm going to so say it's the book. I, yeah, I've done two and a half, but that's enough to that's enough to write a book, right? <laughs> uh, no kidding. You know, uh, it's funny uh, when I, when we first acquired Fast, and maybe this was one of the projects you worked on. I don't know, but I know in North America, everyone kept talking about Best Buy and the implementation at right. Best Buy, and it was like everyone kept talking about that. And there was all these references, and a bunch of the guys that were, you know, working on that were kind of the, you know, the did the whole internal conference circuit at Microsoft, and so um, yeah, no, I totally get that. I, I can yeah. totally understand that. Yeah, it was I was actually at a university up in Trondheim in uh, in Norway two two weeks ago, and they're still running fast ESP, uh, but now they're 
thinking about moving to uh, to hybrid search actually. So that was a workshop about how can we move whatever they have now over to to hybrid from fast ESP. Hmm. Wow. So a lot of those fast guys now, um, some of them ended up in in Microsoft Consulting Services. Hmm. So there's a, a bunch of the guys that um, I, I still know to this day, yeah. like Thomas Mulback and uh, Barry Waldebaum. Yeah. You know, those guys, I think, ended up inside of MCS. But some of the engineers that stayed on and uh, still work in search today, you know, they're delivering all the, to me, kind of some of the secret sauce that's in Office 365, like Delve. So they're building all the APIs that are powering yeah. Delve and doing all the interesting things that combine a search index with machine learning. Uh, so it's pretty pretty interesting stuff that they're doing and, and where that, that it's kind of evolved to. Yeah, but I think it's still kind of helpful knowing what FastESP was and how that worked because it's still sort of applicable today, even though it's more of a black box and you can't do everything. And I, I'm actually on the side that I think it's, it's a good thing that it's more boxed in because it's easier to support, and then you have to work within the rules. I guess sort of like the Commodore 64, you had a box, and you have to make the mo- most of it. You can't re- you can't just turn, throw more stuff at it. You you have what do you, what do you have right? Well, that's that's what you have to deal with. Yeah, but, absolutely. But of course, it can be frustrating. I want more. <laughs> I want more features as well, but uh, I guess it's a hard sell. I mean, if you want more features in search, then you you need a large customer or several large customers, and they have to shout out and say, "We need this." Then it might happen. That's the yeah, way I, I I would personally like to see it decoupled a little bit more than it is today from SharePoint. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. considering behind the scenes it already is, and you know, being able to do more pointed searches and and right. structured search because that's the thing. <clears throat> I think a lot of people don't get it. Like you obviously get it, but like the the people that really get search realize <laughs> that search can be your data layer, um, just like a database. Like you can you can be able to do the same exact like precise queries with search that you can with SQL. Like you know select blank from such and such where ID equals this, and and you could do the same um, with a search driven application. Yeah, as long as you structure the data in the right way. I guess that's uh, the big difference between a uh, SQL Server where it's built for putting stuff in and getting it out fairly fast both ways and you can do everything. But a search engine, you can you can get it like really, 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 really fast out if you structure it in, uh, in the right way. And if you have changed something, then you need to re-index, of course. Yep. Right. Yep. Yeah. So you, um, you're a, a six-time Microsoft MVP, so it's obvious right. that you've you know, been really you know, popular in the community. And like I said, you certainly are um, one of our most popular bloggers that we mention every week. What, um, what sort of uh, different events and conferences and things like that have, have people maybe seen you recently? So I don't travel as much as uh, some of the other people out in the community. I tend to do like two to four speaking engagements every year. Uh, so my last conference was actually Ignite. Um, and my next one will be this Saturday, SharePoint Saturday in Munich, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, the Rencorner guys are holding. And they're just such nice guys. So uh, it's a nice place to go. But you just uh, you guys just had some uh, 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 like a cold hack of some sort, this Arctic yeah. hackathon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I guess just about a month ago, we had the Arctic Chairman Challenge for uh, I think it was for the seventh time. 
So I've been I've been attending. I think uh, well, it was, this was my sixth time. So one one time I didn't go, and I, I've been a judge before, and I've been on teams. So this time I was on a team as well. So it's, it was six different teams from six different consultants uh, consultancies in the Oslo area, and you can compete about get points for different technical solutions within Office 365. And then we had some awesome judges this year. So we had Fabian Williams, Benjamin Eileen, Mark Anderson, and Yina Arenas also came. Cool. Which was awesome. Oh, awesome. Because I actually found a bug when I was working with the graph, and she could just fix it right away. So that was <laughs> I love awesome. that. Yeah. I'm just going to merge it back in. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it, it, it was in the morning as well, right? So And she was in the right time zone, right? So if, it, <laughs> if she had been in um, Seattle, she couldn't fix it, uh, fix it right away. So... So our team actually created a so the theme of the event this year was Matrix. Last year it was Avengers. So this year so we created a Matrix release system based on CRM. So we had chatbots which sort of did the IRC style where you could, uh, where you could chat and then the chatbot sort of had you fill out a form to get you released out of the Matrix and your data went into CRM as a lead and then we qualified you as a contact. And then we had some power apps and flow and we used IFTTT and Azure functions, like everything. So I think the most crazy solution I made was that we had this document library which was locked down and then I had a power app which removed the access security on the site. And then I, I had the, so do you know the, the BB-8 force band from Star Wars? Yeah, so, yeah. So, it's, it's band, yeah. so then I had the force band and sort of did, did the force push, which then triggered the <laughs> IFTTT, which triggered an Azure function on the flow to remove IRM on the library so I could download the document actually open it. So this is like a crazy solution. That's pretty crazy. I love it. Yeah. So how long did this go on for? Uh, three days. So it's like Thursday, wow. Friday, and Saturday. Yeah, and, nice. and then you get points so long. So every day the judges come, look at your solution, and then uh, we had eight different categories. Like it would be like uh, code uh, in your code, or the, how it looks visually, or are you, how how your workflows. Like eight different categories, and then they scored everyone from zero to 100 or 200 points. And then you got points in each category each day, and then they added up, and then there was a final vote, and everyone voted for the other teams, etc. So they added up. So. Yeah, it's very cool. That, that sounds like a lot of fun, yeah. and it, it's it's a it's a really neat way of investigating or exploring some of the technologies that uh, that you might not otherwise get to play very much with. Yeah, so uh, so we we didn't really have a notion what what to create uh, beforehand, but we knew well we want to like check out some different technology, and then we just went at it. I love it. Pretty, uh, pretty amazing yeah. how many things that sounds like you guys touch. You know, I, I, it almost sounds like the. <laughs> Like a Rube Goldberg type of machine, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 one I, thing, but we'll we'll have a thousand steps to. to yeah, I, I created an architectural diagram of like arrows <laughs> going between <laughs> all these boxes. Like it was crazy. Yeah. I've seen a bit of a trend towards this. I I, I, I don't know how. I mean, if this sounds like you guys have been doing this for a little while, but there's there's another thing going on at the moment where um we're we're helping people learn um about some of the um some of the other technologies we've got around around Azure and, and IoT through a, a gamification of, of a Mars mission, and and we're using this as a serious as serious um. Uh, uh, enterprise and corporate training, but with this gamification layer, I, I really quite like this concept of, of of play to discover things and play to to, to learn. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, I guess that that's how I learned the most. I mean, you get either you have to find something fun either in a project, or you have to find some wacky idea as well. So yeah, when you so try a actually, different idea. Yeah. 
That was actually a question I had for you. Considering you are a, a pretty um, consistent blogger, do, do most of your posts come from direct work with customers, or is it from like you know, kind of experimenting, investigating on your own? What what, or is it a little bit of both? A little bit of both. So I think most of it comes from a project. So I typically tell my customer. For longer engagements, anyways, I, okay, you can you can tell how satisfied I am with the project by the number of blog posts. So if there's no <laughs> blog posts, then, then it's pretty boring. Yeah. So uh, either stuff I have to research myself in a project, or sometimes I get questions from just from random people or from other people in my company, and then I just dig, dig into it and try to solve it. So yeah. actually, I actually do most of my blogging on uh, billable time. Oh wow! Very nice. Yeah. yeah. So I use it as yeah, use it as a documentation. I guess to hmm. some extent that's one of the luxuries of being a CTO of the company too, though you can hopefully make some of those calls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I guess when when I started blogging, I spent uh, I spent a lot of free time doing it, but I sort of sort of perfected it as I like. That's a blog post. That's a blog post. Uh, when I see different scenarios, and when I start researching something, I actually start the blog post right away, writing it. Hmm. Oh, very uh, cool. Yeah. But I I usually have some longer stuff. So I have a rant about groups going on, and that will probably take some more time to get get done. And that that will be in my spare time. So maybe I'll write some more on that on the plane to Munich on Friday. I, I don't want to spoil one of your future posts, but you were you were chatting with me right before we started recording on something that I thought was really kind of interesting. And I'll let you explain it in more detail. And if if you don't want to let the secret sauce out of the bag, but you were telling me about some of the 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 color based things when you when you see some of the roll ups in modern SharePoint pages. Can you talk a little bit more about that and, and what yeah, you saw yeah, what was yeah, sure. so, so, so I haven't really thought about it, but if you if you go into a team site or a group, so if you go into a document library which has modern view, you, you get this different accent color. It could be purple or pink or red or grey or like di- different colors. And then when I, uh, I was doing a session with a customer today, I said, like, have you noticed this? So I, I created a subsite. It was called Test. You get this color. I created another one. It's called Test 2. And then I mentioned this to another colleague. and said, yeah, I've seen this before as well. So seems so seems what they're doing is they're, I could actually pick up 10 different colors, and then they take the character. So if you have a site called A, you will get one color. If you name the site, if you rename the site B and then re- refresh your document library, you will get in a different actual really? color. C, yeah, and if you do C, the same. So uh, so if you have a site named A, E, or I, that's the same color, and B, F, and J is the same color. So I'm figuring they're doing some modular 10 stuff, but they're not doing exactly modular 10. They're doing so something So they're taking else. a hash or something, because a hash, a hash in, yeah. in, in, um, in C Sharp will return you a number, which you can then mod to, to do yeah, that. Yeah, so, so it could be that they're doing the hash, and then they're doing modular on the hash. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure, but... But there seems to be ten different colors. But but if you have a but if you're using a, co- a, comp- a composed look on the site, you want your different colors, right? So if, if you have a classic pages, you, you get the look. But when you go over to a modern page, you get this random color. Or or you <laughs> could fi- or you could figure out what you should name the site to get the, the color matching your actual color scheme. Now for groups, I don't know if this is if this is just a coincidence, but I've noticed with groups, if I if I give the group a a photo, if I put a photo for the group, it feels to me like it picks the dominant color out of that photo and then 
uses that for yeah. the the colors. I don't know if that's yeah. just a coincidence. But. Yeah, I've seen that as well. Uh, but then if you go to the site, the accent color on the modern library will still be different from that color. Ah. Yeah. So uh, if you really want to mess with people's mind, call a page a particular color, which will generate a different color as an accent color because of the modular arithmetic. So pink may not generate yeah. a pink. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting into like the, the reservoir dogs. Of, uh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I want to call this site Mr. Pink and this one Mr. White. Yeah. And I guess it's all these things by, by groups. I mean, I've been, I've had some rant posts on Facebook. That I said, like, 2017 has to be the year where all my questions about groups or sites or permissions, this has to be resolved. I get so worked up when I start discussing it because I'm very opinionated how I want it to be. And then I this it either like uh, makes my day or ruins my day when I start those discussions. <laughs> well, I don't yeah. want to ruin your day, but uh, yeah. t- tell us some of the I guess first of all, are you are you seeing a lot of your customers um, using Office 365 groups? Yeah, so uh, we actually rolled it out to several customers and I'm in the project right now where we want to control the rollout, so we're going groups all the way. Uh, but then Permissions is always a big issue. To me, it's very simple. You're in the group or you're out. If you're in, you should be able to contribute. And then all the SharePoint people come, no, we want to restrict this library the way we want to, etc., etc., etc. And now, of course, you can do that on the site, which then breaks with the AD group. Or you can have the AD group in visitors or members, whatever you want. Or you can add... You can invite people just on the t- on the site, which then won't be members in the group. So you have all these different scenarios. Uh, in my mind, I think actually the Teams client is the one who does the right thing. They they're just seeing groups as one function into their into the team, and then you can add tabs to other functions. Like they want to have a Jira board or a YouTube channel. You don't you don't really care about the security. You just handle that, and you've done that before as well. So. I guess it's two ways. Should you look at groups as a way of the security part, or should you look at it as an entity with different functions and then just deal with security in the different different functions? I don't know. Well, but, I know that with Teams, one of the one of the top requested, besides external sharing, but uh, besides that, is channel security has been a big big ask right. from partners. And <clears throat> if you if you've kind of looked under the covers on how a Microsoft Teams handles the SharePoint site uh, behind it because it does use SharePoint for file storage is it gets a site collection and then it creates a folder for every single channel. And so I got to think, I got to think some of the granular security has to be coming at some point, given the fact that they're going to have to implement security on the channel and the channel maps to things like folders. Yeah. But I think, a channel having a folder or having a folder and also having different section in the OneNote just makes it hard to work with that part anyway. So I think they should just open up everything. Just doesn't matter which channel, channel you're in. But but of course, as you say, I mean, if you want different security on the channel than on the documents for that channel, it's uh, I guess it depends where you're coming from, right? What's what's your start entity, and what should the landscape look behind it? It's it's hard stuff. Do you think you should have yeah. roles? Yeah. Do you think you should have roles within a team? <laughs> So can people be members of the team be of different roles in that team? Well, I, guess, I mean, you have owners and members now, right? But yeah. then the members are everyone in that AD group, and then having one AD group—that's sort of the the issue here. 
which sort of limits you unless you want to do something custom and move people around because right. you can't just take people out. You don't have a visitors AD group or a members AD group. So how how many Azure AD groups should you have for one group? Right. That's an interesting question. Yeah. 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 So, so I think I think it's sort of a technical barrier coming from where groups started. Sort of from the exchange and Azure AD group, and then people want to do more and want to have it more flexible. Um, yeah, it's it's all easy, I guess, from from engineering side and also from the business side and from the governance side. How should this actually work? Yeah, to me, to me, it's the governance thing is is the, is the biggest. It's going to be the biggest yeah. issue is just getting yeah. your head around how how that's going to, especially if you start doing it in teams, for example, down to the channel level mm. and and individual documents within the channel. Like that's started to get fairly fairly yeah. out there because people can, yeah. can people can sort of join and leave channels almost ad hoc uh, and so that's um that, that that's yeah yeah you're right uh, it's, it's got to be uh, interesting uh, uh, yeah then you have planner into the mix and then maybe you have some workflows and yeah like should should you have the same well it makes it a lot easier if you have the same security permissions on all different functions because then you're you're either in or out on a yeah, that sort of brings me back to uh, I did some course teaching of SharePoint 2010 for power users, and then doing doing the security part is always the hardest. Uh, and I guess if the simpler you can keep it, the better. But of course, there are scenarios where you need to limit stuff. But then maybe maybe teams or groups are not the right thing. I don't. Right. Know. Yeah, that, that might be the answer. Actually, is that, that let's yeah. not try and force everything into the one tool. There are some. T- there are some things. Yep. If you want really granular stuff, then maybe you go off to a, a custom, a custom SharePoint site, or a custom, some other custom solution. Yeah. And if you want the, you want the yeah. stuff that, that that groups or teams, or particularly teams, offers, then it, it's like adopting any framework to some extent. There's going to be some opinionation that comes with that framework, and yeah. don't try and force other stuff onto it because you're just going to end up in a world of hurt. Yeah, and then of course yeah. the first. Oh, I mean- yeah, sorry. Uh, the, fir- the first SharePoint framework web part I created here the other day was to to fix that big big header on, on the modern pages on the on the Oracle pages, <laughs> which 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 you're sort of breaking. Um, I mean, I'm breaking the rules, right? Because I'm going above the canvas you're supposed to work within. I'm going into the header because the header is not part of the canvas, and I'm doing CSS manipulation to make the header smaller or change the background image. Something which should have been been there from the beginning from Microsoft, but hey. Well, I mean, if we didn't like try to take like something like 400 pixels of height out of the page, right. <laughs> you wouldn't have to deal with it. Which so, is fine. Yeah, when you're, no, when I, you're on a 4K screen, that's great. But uh, yeah, or if you or if you use uh, use uh, the SharePoint mobile app because that cuts the header altogether. All right? Yeah, there you so, go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, someone just made a bad default decision, and then of course, well, then we hack it. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny the. Um, if you've been to the Office UI Fabric site, they have a really cool little microsite where you can play around with all the tools, all, all the different controls. But, man, the same thing, like the the layout of that site, in my opinion, is like unusable, unusable. Right. I mean, they've they've taken such a big chunk out of the page just for like a, a header and then the menu is completely collapsed and hard to find. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, I don't know that our... We probably need some help in the UX space in right, general. Yeah, yeah. I'm also working on a second web part, which is a script editor web part, because it's very useful when you have some old script you need to just start from a modern page. Like, So that's not out of the box. So I'll probably finish that off tomorrow. So so my first two web parts are sort of hacky web parts just to <laughs> to fix things. <laughs> you're a, you're a pretty inventive wow. fixer, right? You've, you've done a bunch of stuff. We were talking about P&P before, and you've done a, yeah. you've done a bunch of work uh, 
as part of that sort of extended PNP community team? Yeah, I guess it started last year. Um, in the last quarter last year, I started doing a couple of PRs on the on the PowerShell part because I. Uh, and then I started uh, in December. Actually, I started two projects to do provisioning of team sites. I had two customers, both at the same time, who want to move their just regular team sites over to from on-prem over to SharePoint Online. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, I love doing programming, but I figured, well, PowerShell is nice. It's easy, <laughs> easy to change, easy to hand over to someone. They can change the script. So then I started using the PMP PowerShell commandlets. And of course, one of the customers had to have localization, so Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish. And then there was a lot of localization stuff missing in the provisioning engine. So I've done a tons of PRs on the just making sure web part titles or navigation titles or everything there is localized. If you if you need that. I guess you don't need that when you're in the English speaking world, but for everyone else it's uh, it's necessary sometimes. Apparently there are a few of you out there. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Then I did some work on the packaging format early on, uh, and then I had to add some commandlets for doing governance, enabling or disabling IRM software. Like, so every time I hit the hit the bump, I actually cranked up Visual Studio and did a PR. So uh, doing programming not to to program. So uh, and then it's very nice to have have people on Slack on the PMP team, so you could actually discuss. How to do the PR before doing doing the code, and then discussing like what should I do a new commandlet or change an existing one? Because having a PR being declined, that's not the most fun part, I guess. So then <laughs> it's better to do a discussion up front. So Absolutely. I've actually had all my PRs accepted so far. Yeah, um, um, I was just looking at a list of, of your PRs. There's, uh, there's like thirty odd of them. That's uh, that's pretty. Yeah. In yeah, fact, and I did, I did, a, I did a search commandlet as well. Uh, just, uh, just took everything from the search query tool, which I worked on, and then just put all those parameters into a commandlet. Nice to have. Very cool indeed. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to drill down a bit into your comment about doing programming, so you don't have to, don't have to do programming. I think this is one of the, one of the, um, the hallmarks of a of a good developer is you don't want to ever do something twice. So right. you'd much rather spend six hours creating a, a generic text import routine than doing two hours of data entry. You know, yeah. it's just... So, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so much more satisfying apart from everything else. You may never use that d- generic text import routine ever again, but you'll learn right, so much. Right. You never learn anything yeah. doing data entry. Um, but, but, but to me, I guess the, the fun part about doing PRs is that you actually have one or two other sets of eyes looking over your code. So you, you, that's true, you, too. You get free, you get, uh, free code review. Yeah. And, also, it, and, and it feels good actually doing a PR contributing back so i hope more people will actually do prs i mean tell us a bit about the process i mean because I, I i know that some of the people i speak to feel that it's almost unattainable to start pushing stuff into uh, to start to start contributing stuff back into yeah. a microsoft repository but it's obviously not i mean I, i've done projects i have a couple of projects myself on over on coldplex and then uh, then when Microsoft created the search query tool version one, uh, then I sort of took that over and done all the features afterwards. So I figured, well, it, instead of just forking it, having your having your own copy of the code, it's better just send it back. Someone else can help out. You get more features, and they get more features. So more developers, the better. Uh, I guess it's sort of a community mindset. You sort of, and that's sort of why I blog. Well, I mainly blog to have so I can use Google to find my own blog posts, and that's yeah. hap- happened. Quite a lot. I find some old posts I can't even remember uh, that I wrote at the time. 
But that sort of, if it's out there, you can find it, and then someone can comment on it, and it just makes it better. Very cool. Do you find that for like one of these, for something like PNP that? Mm. Um, I'm I'm one of I think on the repos I'm I think I'm still one of the managers of it. I, after Vesa right. hears this, I'll probably be removed. But <laughs> um, I, I get all the emails about the pull request, and it's right. it is like the velocity of change in there is amazing. So like like uh, to me, I, I could see like a, like a, like sending in the pull request probably isn't the, as big a deal as. Whoever has to deal with the master merge of, right. of, of pulling all that in. Yeah, that's sort of. I think my it's not it's not a big issue. Sort of more like in a small obstacle, but uh, they don't do they don't merge your pull request every day. I mean, they have other other work stuff uh, they do as well. So and since every pull request should be a small feature, so if you're working on something and you do like three different changes, you need to do a separate branch, and then you need to keep your own dev branch merging all those together. So you have, so you can have your own dev truth with all the changes, right? So that's sort of the, the hard part. And then they merge one, and then you then sort of have to create a new branch, and then you you merge in the other ones. So that's sort of the you have a lot of branches going on with with all the features, but that's that's the way you do feature branching. So it's more well. I guess it just has to be that way. Yeah, and I'm just looking here really quickly on. Um, I'm trying to see. So the PNP core has 333 forks. So right. you know, fork <laughs> is where you've pulled down. Kind of, if, if you're not in a GitHub person, it's your kind of uh, fork of that that code solution. And so that means potentially there are that many people that are contributing, yeah. uh, you know, things back into this. Yeah. And I guess one of the most fun uh, things I did was uh, so so PMP has moved into more to, to do graph stuff as well, not only SharePoint. And then they had a commandlet to connect to the Microsoft Graph, but it only supported uh, client credentials and not, uh, or uh, I mean, uh, user login. So it didn't support client ID and client secret. And that was well, I guess it was four lines of code to get that if statement in there and a couple of more switches, so you could hmm. pick to send in the ID and secret. But it took me, I think it took me like six six hours to research how to figure out how to do MSAL uh, security because they they didn't use ADAL. They had gone for the preview library, right? So just to figure out how to add the or find the right portal to register your application and then figuring how to do the consent <laughs> URL. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so then actually, so the PR I have uh, waiting for right now actually has a sample how to set all that up. So the code is only four lines, but it's it's a sample how to set it up, which is uh, the big value, I guess. Mm, Vesa says it's going to get yeah. uh, get merged on the on the tenth of March release. There you go. Yeah, that's what he said. So yeah, yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome, man. That's very very yeah. cool. So, Michael, where can where can people find? Uh, I mean, we have links to your blog all the time, but what, where do you where are you blogging at? Yes, I have a blog called uh, Tech Meekard or Tech Michael with a K dot com. That's where all my musings or ramblings on tech goes. And then I, then I, you can the, the find K, me the K's on The K is in the Mikkel, not in the tech, right? If you're looking for yes. it, T C H Mikkel. Yes. Just just yep. to be clear, yeah. Yeah, Michael with a K. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. And then, um, on uh, where can they find like on Twitter? What's your Twitter handle? It's my name, Michael Svensson, uh, M I K A E L S V E N S O N. 
I know, yes, if you if you if you just want to find me, if you do SharePoint and search and some other word, you will probably find my blog, and then you will find my information. So <laughs> I'm not I'm, I'm not very hard to find. And we've got links. We got links to all that in the show notes, of course. Yeah, so pe- yeah, people yeah. want to get in touch with you, then then all that stuff is available there. If if they don't already know you, which would surprise me. Awesome. Well, it's um, it's been long overdue having you on the show, and uh, certainly cool to talk to you about. I, I didn't realize um, all your history with SharePoint Search. What's funny is I keep favorites that go back like I wouldn't say decades, but I probably have almost a decade of favorites. Where like when I read something, a good blog post, I bet if I went back, I probably have a ton of your old search yeah. posts uh, index. So uh, very cool. I didn't. It's a uh, cool to. Make that connection. Yeah, I guess search is fun, but it's, it's only a function to solve some business problem. That's what it's all about: solving business problems. That's that's the fun part. Yep. And Michael, totally next 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 time when I when I do finally get to Oslo, I'm going to sit you down. We'll have a beer, and you can tell me about your history as a game developer as well. So I'm looking yeah, forward sure. to hearing about that. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah, about the three and a half years on the game, which got canned, right? <laughs> that's pretty much everyone's history as a game developer, isn't it? <laughs> Except yeah, for the, yeah, the tiny few who make it. <laughs> but I'm sure you learned. Yeah, Michael, thank you so much, man. It's been it's been awesome having you on the show. Um, uh, look look forward to uh, to all the all the other stuff you're you're going to do with the community because you're obviously a, a huge contributor there. And we will I'm sure we'll keep reading out your your, your blog posts uh, on on the weekly updates because they uh, they are they're numerous and ex- extremely useful. So thanks again, and Rich. Uh, I guess we'll we'll catch up next week. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, that's all for this week. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all our podcasts, the developer program, and other amazing content. Also, make sure you follow us at Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. Until next week, get your code on.